Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. I've got a prayer for you this year that you would study the Bible more than you did last year. Okay, I'm gonna say that again and see what your response is like. I've got a prayer that you would study the Bible more this year than last year. Amen. All right, amen, good. Amen means I agree, so that's good. Because I want you to agree with that. <laughs> I wanna study the Bible more this year than I did last year because we believe that God's word is in fact a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It shows us the way to live. In fact, last week we talked a whole lot about what the Bible is. So if you were not here last week, I want you at some point to go on our website and watch last week's message because we talked about what it is, what it's all about, and how it makes a difference. Let me summarize what the Bible is. It is a collection of writings that shows us who God is and how he has made a way for humanity to be redeemed through Jesus so we can live out his plan. And I wasn't too good at grammar in school. So if that's a run-on sentence, I don't care. I wrote it, okay? I just got to get all my thoughts in there. But real, real plainly, but also in this beautiful way, God's word shows us who he is, how he saved us, and how we live now. So that's the purpose of God's word. Now, I want to see who knows some things from last week, okay? So let's see where we're at. How many testaments are in the Bible? Go ahead. Two. All right. Good. How many books are in the Bible? Smarter than the 930. I'll tell you what. They thought it was 65. No, they didn't say that. All right. How about this? How, how many authors roughly contributed to the Bible? 40. Good. How many languages was the Bible originally written in? Three, very good. Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic and Greek. Okay, here's the last one. How many stories does the Bible tell? Oh, I thought I'd get you on that one. Here you are. Yep, there's a whole lot of stories, but it's all telling one story. And the story is what I just told you, who God is, his plan for redemption, and how we now live. It's the story of Jesus. Now, the Bible is filled with stories, and we're starting a series next week called Sunday School, Bible stories for grown-ups. And I'm really hoping I can get a flannel graph up here and some felt people and move them around to trigger some bad memories some of you have buried. Uh, but we're going to go through the Noah's Ark and the Daniel in the lion's den and Samson and all of those Bible stories. So we're going to do that for six weeks, kind of look to the Old Testament, the first part, and find Jesus in it and find application for our lives but I want you to understand what the Bible is, is it is a book that tells us who God is, his plan for our lives. Now, what the Bible is not, understand this, take notes, write this down. The Bible is not a science book. The Bible is not a history book. The Bible is not a math book. The Bible is not a, a rule book. So I just want you to understand that if you're going into the Bible to say, well, I'm going to discover something scientific, historical, sure, that's there, but that's not its purpose. It is a story of God's love for us, who he is, what he's done to save us. Now, why do we read the Bible? I want to give you three words today. 
And then we're gonna get, I told you last week, I'm gonna keep my promise. This whole message is very practical. So I know it's gonna feel like class. That's okay today. Get out your notebook, open up your note app, take some notes, because I wanna teach you how to study the Bible. But why should we do it? Well, I'm gonna give you three words. Two are good, one is best of why we should study the Bible. The first word is information. Information. You will be informed as you read scripture. You, you will learn some things. But listen, the purpose of reading scripture is not for information. Okay, here's another word that's good. Inspiration. You'll be inspired as you read God's word. But understand the Bible is not written to tell you how good you are and how you could be better or how bad you are and how you could be good. It's not about inspiring us. The best word to describe the why of scripture is the word invitation. So we've got information, yes. Inspiration, yes. But primarily God's word is for invitation. It is God inviting you to know him and to know how he has a good plan for your life through Jesus. Okay, that's the why, a little bit of the what, and now for the rest of our time, how? How do we actually study the Bible? I'm gonna give you three things. Here's the first one, make time. Make time. And don't you think, Pastor Keith, come on, man, that's easy. Well, if it's easy, then why aren't we doing it, people? Come on. <laughs> make time. I read this, I thought it was interesting. The average American spends roughly seven hours a day looking at a screen. And I don't know, some of you have never been okay with being average, so you do way more than that. <laughs> like, well, I'm above average and everything. Okay. Now, to be fair, some of that's gotta be work-related. So let's look at this statistic. The average American spends roughly two hours a day on social media. Okay, so that's, again, some of you are above it, below it. That's average, two hours a day taking in, social media. One more thing, the average reader. So if you say, I'm not a fast reader, I'm not a slow reader, average reader. It would take the average reader 15 minutes a day to read through the Bible in an entire year. That's one eighth of your social media time dedicated to reading God's word. You would actually read cover to cover all 66 books in a year. Why do I bring this up? Because you and I, have the time. Make time isn't about making more of it. It's about investing it in the right direction. You want to be a good leader, manage your schedule or someone else will manage it for you. You get to determine. In our house, with my kids, they don't get to say, I didn't have time. They don't get to say, I don't have enough time. Because I will say, and they'll know it, we all have the same amount of time. You chose to use your 24 hours differently when you should have chose to do your homework and clean your room and play and do all that. Don't tell me you don't have time. Go try telling your teacher that and see what she says. <laughs> we all have the same amount of time. So R.C. Sproul, an author, writes, our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. When it comes to scripture reading, our problem is that we are lazy. <laughs> I know that that's not what you want to hear on a Sunday morning. I'm sorry, but you're lazy and I'm lazy. And there's times where we just, I don't have time. I woke up too late. I stayed up too late. Life got in the way. Listen, make the time. Pre 
decide. Leaders make pre-decisions so we don't have to make as many on-the-spot decisions. I already know this is when I'm going to read God's Word. Make the time. So write this down. Choose a consistent time. Choose a consistent place. Don't think about it. Choose it. If it matters to you. Here's the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus says to the followers, his followers, seek me first. Desire what I desire. Put me first. So when it comes to studying God's word, put it first. And that may not mean at the start of your day, but you've got to prioritize when and where you've made the time. So I'm going to do it at my lunch break. I know I get 12 to 12.45, so that first 15 is going to reading. I'm going to do it on my commute time. I'm going to listen. Before I put on music, I'm putting on the Bible. The last thing I do at night, but the first thing I do when I wake up, I'm making time. Everybody say, make time. Make time. You have the ability to make time. Not add more, but use it wisely. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Choose a good translation. Choose a good translation. Now, I don't know what your engagement with the Bible has been, but maybe one of the reasons you've stopped reading the Bible is because you opened it and you didn't understand why there were that many these, thous, and thighs in it. <laughs> like, what in the world did I just read? I don't understand any of that. Okay, choose a good translation. We all just said that there, the Bible was originally written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, for me, I don't speak that regularly or read that regularly, Okay. <laughs> Which means what I'm doing is what you're doing. We are relying on a translation team to take the original manuscripts, the Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, translate them into English, Spanish, Portuguese, whatever you're reading in. So that translation team is balancing two important qualities, readability and reliability. That's a hard job. I'm glad I don't have that job taking the original text and trying to make sure that it's understandable, it's readable, but also it's reliable. It's actually what the authors wrote in the original language. You may have heard it this way, a word for word or a thought for thought. They're trying to give us something that when we sit down to read, we know what we're reading is what the author intended and we can understand it. So I've had this question asked numerous times in numerous ways. Here's the basic question. Pastor Keith, what's the best translation for me to read? And here's my answer. You're not going to like it. All of them. <laughs> all of them. Why? Because if you're putting all of your hopes into, well, I'm an NIV only, KJV or nothing, NLT, baby, you're putting all your hopes into a translation team, dude. <laughs> Come on, they're doing their best. You can't just take one and call that the inspired translated word of God. What? <laughs> you know, inspired translation. So all of them, get a, get a good, like, nutritional breakfast with a few translations. So let me recommend some that I use regularly. The English Standard Version, the New International Version, the New Living Translation, and the Message 
Those are four, and this is my preference. Your preference may not be on the screen. I'm sorry, email me, joe at blazechurch.org. I will get back to you, maybe. Right, you've got a preference, that's fine. But don't let your preference become doctrine. What? You like to read one of those? Good. But also, are you open to another translation to help you understand? Because, hey, if you're not reading original Hebrew or Greek, you're not doing the translation for yourself anyway. So let, let me get a little collection going. Let me understand some things. I'm going to give you another resource. Write this down, biblehub.com. Biblehub.com is a free resource. Great. Absolutely great. You can put in a Bible verse and it will give you all the translations. It'll give you that one verse. You put Matthew 6, 33, you're gonna see the, the NIV, the, the ESV, the NLT, New American Standard, all of it. So then you can actually just read, okay, let me see how these translators took the one Hebrew word, the one Greek word, and just kind of expounded on it. Now, if you wanna take it another step forward, I'm gonna show you how by going to biblehub.com and reading what it would have been like in its original language. Take a look at this next slide, Matthew 6, 33, in the Greek. So this is the website. All I did was put in Matthew 6, 33, what I read earlier at the top, and it gave me this when I clicked interlinear. Okay, you'll see that right there towards the middle of the screen. Across the top bar, that's all translations. Do you know on the YouVersion Bible app, there's over 3,000 translations, okay? So let's not get hung up on this is it and no more. So we're going to look at this now, and it's Greek. So stay with me. Matthew 6, 33, right in the middle of that slide. Let me explain. What does that mean? Matthew, the first name, refers to the book that we're reading from out of the 66 books. So in this case, we're reading from Matthew. The first number refers to the chapter. Now, this didn't come around until the 1200s. It's only 1,000 years ago. Chapters. And then 300 years later, we got the verses, verse 33. So Matthew, the book, chapter six, dot, dot, verse 33. That's what that means. And hear me again. The chapters and the verses, I believe, were inserted for ease of use. Could you imagine it'd be like to come to church and we ain't got no chapter and verse and you have to bring a whole scroll bag with you? No, no, Miguel, not that scroll, the other scroll. And then keep scrolling until, okay, good, good. No, go back. So someone got smart and gave it a numbering system. Now, I will just say, I don't believe the numbering system is inspired. So please don't put your lottery numbers based on your favorite Bible verse reference, okay? Just gonna throw that out there for whoever needs it in the 11 o'clock service. I only play 23-1 because the Lord is my shepherd, baby. No, 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 thank you. No, all right, it's just someone in this service needed that because that wasn't in the 930. All right, take it, run with it. So Matthew 6, 33. Now watch this, I'm gonna teach you what this is, but let's just read the red, I'll read it to you. The red is the English translation of the Greek word for word. Watch why translators can't just give us the original language. Look at how it reads. Seek, however, first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his, and these things all will be added to you. So if your Bible read that way, you wouldn't read it. <laughs> so translators take that, and then we get our verse we read earlier in the New International Version, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Now, I wanna show you, if you wanna do a word study on one of these words in the original language, you can do it here. 
So let's take the first word, zeteo. That's the word for seek. Now the number 2212 is what's called a Strong's number. In 1890, Dr. James Strong finished cataloging the Greek words by number. All that means is you can actually look up 2212 and you'll see zeteo, which is a Greek word. It's just a catalog system. But look what it means. Get a little more. I seek, search for, desire, require, demand. So now I'm understanding in the first century when Jesus spoke in that language and the audience heard it in Greek, when they hear zeteo, they don't just think seek, they think desire. All right, I'm going to demand. I want to, I want this. It's a longing. And now I'm understanding a little bit more. So of course, you're going to have a translation that maybe uses the word seek, but maybe it says require. Maybe it says desire. It's just translators trying to take that one word that's got a lot of definitions. And then if you scroll down, we're not going to here, but if you scroll down, you would see everywhere that word detail comes up in scripture and cross-reference it. And you're going to learn to study the Bible. So make time. Choose a good translation, helping you with this. And now here's the third thing. Find a plan. Just find a plan. You can't go into the Bible tomorrow and play Bible roulette. That is dangerous, my friends. Sit down. Okay, God, I'm going to open this thing up. And whatever I point to, I'm going to do it. In Jesus' name, you've got a fresh word for me. You are, you are in trouble if you read the wrong verse. Let me show you. Ezekiel 4.12. What if you get this one? And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Well, Holy Spirit, it is 21 days of prayer and fasting. I am hungry. And a sandwich over some doo-doo don't sound too bad. What? Stop that. You can't just, God's going to speak to me and put your finger in the book. You need a plan. I believe the Holy Spirit is just as active in the spontaneous as he is in the preparedness, okay? You don't just move in spontaneous. No, be prepared. Find a plan. Get a plan. So let me give you three options for a plan. Start with a book. Maybe for you, you just want to know more about the life of Jesus. So you're going to go to the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. You really want to know about his miracles. You know what's a good book for that? John. You want to know more about the miracles of Jesus? Read John. Maybe you're in a, a season of life where you're feeling broken and you need some encouragement. You need some worship songs. You need someone who understands the sorrow, the distress you're going through. Read Psalms. Maybe for you, you, you want to understand who God is. Like you want to get a good study of God and salvation. Well, it's a little more challenging of a book, but the book of Romans is great for that. Read through and understand God and salvation and the plan of redemption. Maybe it's you need wisdom. You're a leader. You're a business person. And you're saying, I just need some good practical wisdom. Well, Proverbs is good in the Old Testament and James is great in the New Testament practical living. How about this? Study a person. You might say for the month of February, I'm going to study everything about Moses, everything about Elijah, about Peter. I want to understand their life so I can see how they point me to Jesus and how I can follow in some way an example here. Or study a topic. I love this. If you're coming to Blaze Church from a very religious culture and there's a lot of guilt mixed in with your relationship with Jesus, you need to study the word grace in Scripture. 
you need to do a deep dive into how amazing his grace is. Maybe you are struggling with sin. There's a sin that's got you bound and you need to study what God says about that. Come on, go to his word. Go to his word. So I would love, because I don't want to do this alone. I got so many friends in this room. I would love to go through a Bible plan with you tomorrow for five days. So look at this next slide. Text the word Bible plan to 97,000. I'm gonna ask you right now, if you wanna do this with me, take out your phone right now. We're not gonna spam you. We're not gonna take any information, any of that. Text the word right now, Bible plan, all one word to 97000 or write that down and do it later. And you will get a text back saying, thank you. We're gonna start a Bible plan together tomorrow. Join me and others who are gonna do this for five days. So you don't even have to think for the next five days what you're gonna read. I'm gonna read it with you and I'm gonna be able to comment and encourage you and you'll be able to do the same for others on the YouVersion Bible app. So text Bible plan to 97,000 so that we can start a plan together. Now, up to this point, we have learned how to read the Bible, okay? Because you can read the Bible this way. Make time, choose a good translation, find a plan. But the series is called How to Study the Bible. So I want to show you now three ways to study. So you've got your time, you've got your translation, you've got your plan. Now you're going to study. You've got to do three things to study effectively. Here's the first, observe. Write down the word observe. That means what does the passage say? So I'm reading and I'm making some observations and I'm writing down what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. Okay, the author's speaking in this tone. The grammar is structured this way. All right, why are they repeating these words here? You write down your questions that you don't understand. What's the festival of booths? I don't get that. I'm gonna have to go back to that. Why would Jesus want me to love my enemies? He must not know my enemies, that's why. Okay, skip that one. You're going to write down your questions. Now hear me, when you question God's word as a follower of Jesus, this is very important. We ask from a place of submission, not a place of suspicion. It's okay to ask questions. I don't understand this. Why would God say this? Why would he want this? But as a follower of Jesus, you've already surrendered lordship to him. And when you disagree with the author, the author's always right in the Bible, <laughs> the author being the inspired Holy Spirit. So you ask, God, I don't get this. I don't know why you would want me to do this with my money, with my relationships. I don't get what you mean here. You ask, that's okay. We're making observations. We don't wanna stay there. Now we wanna go to the second thing, interpret. Say the word interpret. interpret. Interpret is what does the passage mean? So if observations is what does it say, I'm seeing something, don't quite get it yet, but I'm taking my notes. Interpretation is what does it mean? And not right away mean to me. We'll get there. This is just what does it mean? Remember, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. What do I mean by that? As Americans, we get this really wrong. We think everything's written to us, don't we? Oh, that verse is about China and that's America. Stop that, okay? <laughs> it wasn't written to you. It was written to a first century Jewish audience before you were ever around. So we've got to first ask, what does this passage mean to them? Well, that's called historical context. 
I need to know the history. What time period is this? Who is the author writing to? Is this first century Rome? Is this BC Persia? Where am I? What does this mean to them? Historical context. Second, you need to understand literary context. In other words, you got to know. You pull out that verse from Ezekiel about the doo-doo cakes. Okay, you need to know what in the world? Well, what's the literary context? What else is happening here? Let me give you a good example. You'll, you'll understand. How many know where the love chapter is in the Bible? Who knows the love chapter? Anybody know? What's it called? 1 Corinthians 13, right? Some of you have heard of that. It's called the love chapter. You've heard these words at a wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Who's heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard. Okay. Next month, you're going to give someone a Valentine's Day card, and it might have some of that on it. Okay? Love, love, love. Good. But do you understand the literary context of what we call the love chapter? First of all, it's written by Paul to Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians. And it is a rebuking corrective letter because there is sin in the church and because they're not loving each other well. So he writes this letter, no chapters, no verse numbers, to bring some correction, to bring some teaching. And when we get to 13, what we call 13, before and after that, He's actually giving them instructions for the gifts of the Spirit and worship services. And because they were going crazy with all of these things, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You're forgetting to love each other. So what? You can speak in tongues and you give faith and you can heal and all of that. You're forgetting love. So your church is crazy. That's the literary context of the love chapter. Now, you can still get the Valentine's Day card. That's fine. Jesus is cool with that. But understand, you've got to know what you're reading. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you study scripture. And the third part of this is you've got to understand genre. Because the Bible's filled with different genres. You've got poetry. You've got teaching. We call that discourse. You've got narrative stories. And if you don't know what you're reading, what genre you're in you're going to make a mess of your life and the lives of others by throwing at them a Bible verse that might be poetic, not to be understood the same way if it was a teaching. Now, this is so important that I want to take three minutes and I want the Bible project to teach us why this matters. So go ahead, take a look at the screens. So the Bible is a collection of books written in different literary styles like narrative, poetry, and prose. And most of us are familiar with these kinds of literature. Yeah, we all know a narrative when we see one, like The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. And most people can recognize poetry, whether it's Walt Whitman or the songs of Bob Dylan. And every day we're surrounded by prose and news articles or essays. Now all of these examples are modern American literature in that they came from this time period and this region of the world. But there's also medieval English literature from another place in time, or ancient Greek writings from this place in time. So each time period and culture produces its own unique kind of literature. And in order to read the Bible well, we need to keep in mind that it comes from this part of the world and was produced in this basic period of time. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Well, a key feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. 
And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the Garden. Where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are intentional. Intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue to pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then in the book of Revelation, there's this symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay. Meditation literature. Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself and then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. All right, that's a little helpful, right? Does that help you a little bit? I want you to really understand this. Now, you still will run into problems. We all do. So, blazechurch.org slash Bible we have a button on there that says, someone help me. <laughs> Very plain. And if you click that, you can actually put in your question, the Bible verse you're reading, something you're trying to understand, and that will go to our pastoral leadership team here so that we can walk with you through interpreting what this scripture might mean. So we're observing, we're interpreting, but now we need a third final step. Very important, don't drop off here apply. How does this passage transform us? Because if all we do is think that, well, I read my Bible for the day. I learned something. I know something. You're missing the whole point. It's not to do something to the Bible. It's to let God's word do something to us. 
to transform us, to change our thoughts, to change our ways. In fact, here's what James writes in James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Come on, some of you, you've had those people in your life where they've thrown a Bible verse at you. They've shared an article. They've encouraged you in some way and you've thought, I wish you would do what you're reading. <laughs> like you do it too. We need to be people that don't have our heads puffed up, but to have our hearts transformed. In fact, here's what Paul writes in Corinthians. Again, a correction text. Knowledge makes us feel important. It is love that strengthens the church. And so if your only reason for reading the Bible is to know something a little more than someone else, you're missing it. Love strengthens the church. So how do we apply God's word in our lives? Take a look at this next slide. There's a whole lot of questions. I don't expect you to write these all down. This is available on our website as well, so you can find it. If you want to take a picture, that's fine. These are just good questions to ask on how do I apply the Bible? You should have this printed kind of with your Bible. So you can just, okay, what do I, how do I apply it now? So watch, just some of them. What does this passage teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself and my relationship to him? How about my heart? What does this passage tell me I should feel? I should love, I should hate. What's there? How about my actions? Is there a sin that needs to be confessed because of this passage? Is there a command that I need to obey? Is there an example for me to follow here? We want to be people who apply God's word. Now, I know I'm like, three more things, three more things, but there's more. One more thing, okay? Here's why. The first three things will get you reading the Bible. The next three things will get you studying the Bible. But there's something very important that you and I need. It's really a who, not a what, if we are to truly be changed by God's word. And it is the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to bring this whole thing to life to us. Why? Well, the Psalm writer says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Let's apply that. Unless God's in it, you could sit there for hours studying your Bible, but it'll be for nothing if the Holy Spirit's not doing a transforming work in your heart. So here's the beauty and the promise, followers of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit with you. Jesus made this promise in John chapter 14. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. How great that when you sit down with the inspired word of God and you're, you've got your time, you've got your translation, you have a plan. You're ready to observe and interpret and apply and you know you're not doing it on your own. Oh my goodness, don't miss the power of the Holy Spirit when you read God's word because he is so faithful to illuminate, to make known, to reveal through God's word what you need for your life and for that day. I could tell you so many moments where I read God's word in the morning and it was hours later that he reminded me of the promise I read. And I was like, oh, 
It's like you knew I would need this now. And he's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> he's so good. He's with you, followers of Jesus. So write this four-word prayer down. It's four words. When you go to read God's word, pray this every time. Holy Spirit, teach me. Don't miss that part. Holy Spirit, teach me. He will answer that prayer. And he will start to teach you and lead you so that you can have love to strengthen the church and live for Jesus. That's how we study the Bible. Class dismissed. <laughs> I know this felt a little more like class than normal, but for the next six weeks, we're, we're gonna preach his word. But I, I wanna make sure we're preaching and teaching. You're, you're now on your way. Tomorrow, join that plan with me. There's videos picked out in that plan. There's passages, it's encouragement. I want you to go deep into God's word this year. And so that's what this was all about.